You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I'm your co-host, PJ, along with Matt Shiles and, and in the background, the very sexy... <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't. I guess I can't even say that. No, I like. Listen, uh, you know Joe's we glowing gonna... head. You know, with no hair. Like I'm just telling you, man, it's very attractive. We're gonna keep rolling, and we're gonna keep rolling. So yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so he, he's. I told you my brain wasn't really you know working today, but you didn't believe me. You but. had you had that glitter in your eye. I knew there was something unexpected to come, but I it didn't was, know that. Yeah. There's okay. sometimes no filter in you know the words that come out of my mouth, but we're grateful to have Joe in the studio today. Our studio audience of one, actually two now, because God is our audience of one. So Joe is just the additional add-on. Well, and then Steve's here, too. Oh, Steve is in the background. So he's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. He's in the background. He's the one pulling the strings, and he might be he might be editing this take. Maybe. We'll see. He's like, man, you give me more work to do, but guys. I did, but I did say that we need more laughter in our life. We do not need to take ourselves so seriously all the time. True. That was one of the things we can't get enough of, laughter. That's true, but something that you, something else you said that I have a bone to pick with you. Uh oh, you say we can't get enough of exercise. Mm. What yeah. kind of person says that? Uh, I undoubtedly a lot of people, and and obviously our our one yeah. audience member am is I saying in, like he can't get enough. Am exercise. I in the minority? You must be in the minority because I mean like I don't know if you you can get enough exercise per se. I, Theoretically, yeah. you know, most people can't. I mean, that's what we're saying. When 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 I googled what can I not get enough of, yeah. these are people voting, and be, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who says I can't get enough of exercise, like in a good way. Like I have, I, I like it so much. I just want more of it. Or no, they they want to do it, but they can't. They can't get enough of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if it's necessarily that other. I don't know if it's the latter. Like, yeah, okay. Uh, okay. I love it so much I can't get enough. That's of it. how I took it. No, the yeah. way I look at it is, all right, I like eating this stuff. So if I eat this stuff, like I, like somebody, flan, what well, flan, 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 whatever it is, but I just know that if I eat all of that, then I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do you know another ten, fifteen minutes, or I'm gonna have to have a high intensity type of workout okay. to to burn more of that. Okay. So that's where I'm like, that makes you sense. know it depends on your diet too. It's like you know depending on how you eat will depend on whether or not you can't get enough exercise. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, it does. So I mean, you 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 can pick that bone with me all day long, but I don't know how you're how you're interpreting that. So. I th- I think I interpreted it the wrong way. So um, so thanks for clarifying. Uh, absolutely, that's why I'm here. Is it? Is that why you're here? <laughs> so I think we're a little chippy today, uh, and and it is uh, exciting because we're in a new series, and uh, this series more than enough feels like it, it's going to go four weeks, but feels like there's some. Um, there's some real excitement around it and um, some expectation around it, specifically week four, because oh. I know you're gonna you're gonna go buck wild in week four. Yeah, I th- I think I might know uh, you know one of the reasons why. So the way Ruth four ends is just you know incredible. Uh, but we're not there yet. We are in Ruth one, and this was October fourteenth and fifteenth. And you laid out for us three things that you wanted. Um, for us in this series. First was uh, to learn to trust the Lord in every season. Second, to train your eyes to see God's goodness. And third, to realize that the Lord is enough. He's all you need. Um, So for this week, the main point was even when you go through or even when we go through a bitter season, we must cling to the truth that we have a better Savior. Amen. Amen. Um, so in order for us to uh, flesh that out, you gave us two truths, not three, not no, four, it, but it two. two. I, well, you know, because there's a lot of times I would like to work with the triad because sometimes, 
it's just it, it, when you when you couple things in threes, it sometimes it's easier to remember. But as I'm as I'm working, and I'm like, there's really only two here that yeah. I want to. Sure, if we looked at it in a different way, I'm sure that there could be three, there could be four, there could be five. But mm. just the way the spirit had me organize it this past week, it was let's just do two points. That's great. First one was running away from God will make your life more bitter, not better. Um, and that was you described that that part of the sermon is kind of the, the darkness that we see. And then the second point is God will show up in your bitterness and begin showing you he is better. Yeah. Well, and and notice like more bitter. It, it was already – see, here's mm. the thing. And that's why like even Naomi, she at the very end, I, I left full. No, you didn't. You're running away because you're empty. Yeah. You don't have bread. Yeah. Your life's already bitter, but you're leaving because you think you can make it better, mm. but it ends up being more bitter. Mm. So it was the reason why I said more bitter, not better. More bitter, not better. Yeah. And that, that second one, um, that God will show up in your bitterness and begin showing you he is better, that's really the, the gospel light. So yeah, um, so yeah there was, a, there was a, some heaviness to the message, but it didn't stay there. Exactly. Yeah, there was definitely some tension, which is I think the, I, I think one of the trends that I have started at least for me is that when I know it's heavy, I'm going to check in with people like y'all all right, you know, because it is. It's, but these you know these are elements that we all need. Like I had, I had one one person tell me like you know he, that he has processed difficult sermons like if if he leaves having to chew on something and not like not all happy yeah like the, the lord wants him to kind of process that yeah you know as opposed to leaving mad he leaves all right lord what all right, what do i need to do with this mm. you know type thing and I, I i i don't know where we have where we have gotten off track where we don't want to be challenged yeah. when we come and encounter god's word because the whole element of encountering God and his word is to shape and mold us, which means there's going to be some kind of friction. Hmm. There's going to be some kind of movement chiseling in our life. So, I, again, I don't know where all that started, yeah. uh, but but I think people are – at least people that that – will say something to me, they love the fact that God is challenging them through messages. Yeah, there's there's a spiritual maturity to that response to not just, you know, leave frustrated or angry, but to to consider and to reflect, okay, what is what is God trying to teach me here? Yeah. And I do appreciate when you uh when you check in on us because I think w- one of the reasons is it kind of validates, yeah, there is a heaviness here. You know, what I'm feeling is is also what you're feeling, but also you recognize it, right? Yeah. Um, there, there's a there's a self aware aspect that you're not just trying to, um, you're not just trying to, to bulldoze. Yeah. Yeah, and and bulldoze without any you know sympathy or empathy. Absolutely. Yeah, that it it and and it also gives uh you know it gives people an opportunity like Joe. Because at the 11 o'clock, if I say, y'all all right, I hear Joe's voice in the background going, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do. I got a <laughs> My voice echoes. Yeah, so. Oh, man, I didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah. I was in the so 11. I, I can hear weekend. Joe. Okay. And I get out of here. People are like, yeah, keep on preaching. We're, we're with you. Mm. We're with you. So, and that, again, it, it's good because I'm, you know, the goal is to bring people along, not drag people along. Yeah, that's 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 good. That's helpful. Okay, so let's start by um, by asking this question. You started by giving really a disclaimer. You said this message is for Christians. Why was it important to uh, clarify that? Well, because I don't want people. I I don't want there to be this understanding that if someone is far from Jesus, they uh, their life's already bitter. Or that you know that their life will get bitter because I don't know if that's necessarily true mm-hmm. because I do believe that the God of this world has blinded people from seeing the glory of Christ. I mean, Second Corinthians four four. I mean, this is what Paul tells us. So, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are lost who don't know Jesus that they wouldn't even say that their life's bitter. Mm. 
So that's where I'm not even going to give that disclaimer that mm. I, I'm going to project on lost people that your life's already bitter because I don't. Again, I don't. I don't think that's true. Mm. Um, you, you know, because of the element of blinded, um, the 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 blindedness of lost people. Mm. Um, so, so that's why I wanted to say, listen, I'm going to talk to believers because what we're going to see, and if you follow Jesus, and you think you can go outside because you you have you feel like you have some needs that you think the Lord's not meeting, that you can go outside His covenant promises to meet. I promise you, your life, your I, and this is where I I'm I'm promising you this: your life will become better, not better. Mm. So, mm. so that's why I wanted to really specify now. It doesn't mean that people far from Jesus cannot glean some truth from this because maybe, mm. just maybe, they're now in a position or a season in their life where their life is bitter. Yeah. And, you know, God's going to use that to show them that he is better. Mm-hmm. So so it doesn't mean that, obviously, this message could not have been uh, digested or palat, you know, kind of palatable to someone who didn't know Jesus. But I, I wanted to make sure that the truth that we're that we're extracting from the text it is in the context of followers of 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 the Lord. Mm. So, mm. yeah, I I love that, and I think there is um, it's so helpful for you to to draw that distinction. Because, it, you know, in every single worship gathering, there will be unbelievers. Yeah. And, you know, an, an example, too, of this is like years ago, I would hear, you know, somebody say, you know, if you didn't have Jesus, you couldn't have a good marriage. Well, no, that's not actually that, – that's just not true. Hmm. There's a lot of marriages out there that they that Jesus isn't the center, that one, go the distance and have a just a, a good marriage. Hmm. Uh, but do you, if you want to have a marriage that glorifies – now let's let like like let's specify this now. Mm. You know, so that that's part of where I think sometimes language we need to make sure that our language is very intentional uh that and not misleading. Mm. Um and so that's what I wanted to make sure that I stress because again, I just don't I, there I know that there are people out there that aren't following Jesus that they're not going to sit there and say that their life's bitter. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that sit there and say yes, and I want to sit there and say, well, even if you follow Jesus, doesn't mean it's all going to be rainbows and sunshine. However, this is where the the, the core message of this series is so important, is that he will always be enough. Mm. He will mm. always be enough. When you go through famine, he will always be enough. Mm. And even, and this is where like Job would say, even if he slays me, yet I will tr- I will hope in him. And, and and so there there is this element that even in the brink, you know even in the brink of disaster even in the face of death Jesus truly is more than enough so don't go outside of Jesus trying to find some yeah so yeah everybody can glean something from it but yeah. I wanted to make sure I specified that awesome so looking at Ruth one um, we begin with this line in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. And at the end of Judges, we see in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So why is it important for us to understand the time frame in which this story occurs? Because it puts it in, yeah, you know, just to stress that, you know, Elimelech is doing what everybody was doing at that time. Like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Yeah. Like, not not what God wants me to do, but what I want to do. And, and therein lies the connection, again, even in the 21st century, is as a believer, we don't get to do whatever we want to do. Yeah. If we, if we follow Jesus, yeah. you know, we do what he tells us to do. And, yes, if, if we take matters into our own hands and we do what is right in our own eyes, sure, it actually might make sense to the world. But it still disobeys Jesus. Hmm. So that's where I'm like, no one in some sense would fault Elimelech for going to where bread is. However, he left the land of promise. God would never have wanted him to leave the land. Because one, he he, he brought the famine so that they would turn back to the Lord, not run away from him. Yeah, because if you're just reading it quickly, it can seem very logical. Yeah, you're going to where family. You're going to where where bread is. Yeah. So let me, you know, let me even give another example that would be 
very potent for what's going on even in the Middle East. Okay. Because everybody, you know, everybody's talking about the conflict in the mm-hmm. Middle East, but but we know do do we realize where all of that conflict started? So it's over land, but if you go even further back, it's over really family. Because mm. you got Abraham. Mm. Abraham is the commonality for the Jew and the Muslim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Abraham had been promised that you're going to have you're going to have descendants. So him, him, him and Sarah. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to give, I'm going to give I'm going to give you a boy. Yeah. Well, so you got old Abe and Sarah. They take matters into their own hands and do, do. what what they contextually and culturally could have done at that time. Yeah. So Hagar comes in the scene. So Hagar is the servant. Of Sarah, so Sarah's like, "Hey, won't you just go in with my husband? We'll carry on the line there." Yeah. So here, we're not going to trust the Lord. Yeah. We're, we're not going to. We're not going to believe what He's told yeah. us. So we're just going to take matters into our own hands. Yeah. yeah we, and we're going to do what's right in our eyes. We'll make sure the promise is fulfilled because they were getting up in in years. Yeah. It's a disaster. Yeah. And so you can talk about, I mean, that thousands of years. Of bitterness. So think about because of Ishmael. Because of Ishmael. Yeah. So now you have Ishmael, uh, and then eventually they'll have Isaac. But so even today, obviously we know there is bitterness over there. Yeah. There is bitterness from Palestinians, uh, from Muslims towards the Jew. There is also anger and hostility from the Jew to the. I mean, like. Where did all that root from? When Abraham and Sarah thought they knew better. Hmm. So, I mean, that's a very – again, that, that that's now millennia. That's a stark example. And you see Elimelech doing something similar it, here. Well, yes. Elimelech is doing the – you know, a, a, a very similar thing. Uh, now, his just doesn't last as long as, as Abraham's has. Hmm. But he definitely is because we do see – Severe discipline, mm-hmm. you know, that comes out of Elimelech's decision. But that's where you know, if you read Judges, I mean, it really is. It's this, it's this cycle, and there's there's the cycle of sin. God, He issues judgment, consequences, discipline to bring yeah. them back. They come back. God relents. He restores. Uh, have years of peace. Have years of flourishing. They fall away again they kind of run away disobey i mean it's just it's mm. one thing after another you know but it's but it's this cycle mm. which is why i also wanted to put up the cycle at the very beginning is that this is really the cycle or the story arc it's not necessarily a cycle but more of an arc of where it begins and where it ends mm. and and it and it begins with you know um i don't really believe that uh the lord is enough and that I know better than him. <laughs> it's just so prideful for someone who's sitting in the position, and now here's again, the position and even the place, and I'm going back to Elimelech, okay. sitting in the position and place that they are, like, I know better. Like, do you not know your history? Mm. Yo, Elimelech, do you, do you not know how y'all got out of Egypt? Do you not know how you got across the Red Sea? Do you not know how you're protected from the Amalekites? Do you not not like? Do, do you not know how you know uh, all of the stories about how the the conquest went? Joshua and the whole Israelite army marching around, like, bro, wake up! Like you don't know better. And the only reason why you're sitting in this land is because God is better. But no, no. And then for the believer, do you not know what Jesus went through to save you? Mm-hmm. Do you not know all of the promises that are in him that if you begin to run away from him, run from him, you're not going to experience those promises. Mm-hmm. Um so it's very important. Yeah. Um so uh, let's move on to the next question. You gave us a principle it has to has to do with this. The principle is if you live inside God's house, you are protected. If you live outside of his house, you are exposed. 
Um, you can certainly speak to that principle, but I also had a question in terms of just how should we look at imply and apply principles that you give us like this? Is this something, am I looking at this correctly? This is something that's like generally true. Um, it isn't necessarily a, a promise of God, right? Because, um, you know, it's not, there, could be, there could be examples where this isn't always true. But can you shed some light a little bit more? Because you do this quite a, quite a lot, give us, give us principles out of the text. So um, can you right. share a little bit about how we should view and apply those to our life? Yeah, I mean, in this, you know, in, in, in this principle, yeah, I mean, I, I I think it is a, when I say generally true statement, because I'm talking about discipline in this regard, and because mm. I even likened it to, we know this as parents, mm. like if you set rules and standards and behaviors for your kids, and they disobey, mm. You you are going to discipline them, but you don't discipline them out of hostility. Mm. You don't discipline them out of anger or retaliation. Right. You discipline them out of love, and so it goes back to Hebrews twelve. You know, so in your uh, hardship as discipline, God is treating you as His children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. I mean, so, and then he goes on, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Like, so, when we, and again, this is where I wanted to say, it's a habitual disobedience. Yeah. It's not like God's not sitting there waiting for you to make one, you know, kind of one mistake. You know, He's not sitting there waiting. You, oh, I can't. I'm ready. For, I'm ready for him to sin. I'm ready for her to sin, so I can whoop him. No, I mean he's he's not doing it. This is where when you look at Israel's pattern, and you you look at even in the the New Testament, and even what you know the author of Hebrews is saying, it really is more of an habitual type of pattern. Like for instance. Uh, so when we read about church discipline from Matthew 18, mm-hmm. what 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 Matthew is getting at there and ultimately what Jesus is getting at in terms of teaching on uh, dealing with sin in the church, it actually – so if your brother or sister sins, it's an aorist active tense which refers to situations – or habitual repeated events or behaviors. So so church discipline is not not enacted when someone again in a moment of weakness sins. Yeah. It's an habitual type like all right, we got to discipline you like cuz you you're, you're going to have to learn again from an Israel standpoint. There's a reason why you get stuck in this habitual pattern of sin. Mm-hmm. Um and and for many people it's out of stubbornness and out of pride like I know better. Yeah, I mean, again, like Elimelech, like Israel during this time. And so what people need to be is humbled by the discipline of God mm. that would lead them back to a repentance and a restored relationship with the Father as opposed to constantly acting contrary to their Father. Mm. So that's why, like, when I say generally true, I mean, it's generally true, but I, I mean, I would say it's actually a, you know, I don't think there's ever a time where it's not true. Yeah. In that, in, in the regard of discipline, mm. so mm. that's why I try to show, sure, like yeah. in house, like, but but this is where I, you know, in dealing with, so because I'm talking, you know, it's really talking about discipline this weekend, because you don't need to see that every bad thing, every difficult season, every disappointment, dissatisfaction, every even like death is a is a result of God's discipline in your life. So I don't want people to go around thinking yeah. because they've experienced pain and suffering, oh, God's disciplining me. No. Right. like That's why I really wanted to deal with – and I really tried to drill down on it where he was was participating in the spirit of the day. I'm going to do what was right in my eyes Mm. Not God's eyes. Mm. So that's why I was really trying to because I don't want ever. I don't want believers thinking that well, you know, I got cancer. God's disciplining me. No, I don't want you to think that. Mm. Uh, now I think there should always be an element, like even when we face pain and suffering, it, you, you know, hey, is there anything in my life that God is trying to teach me or that is making me aware of? Mm. Because there are there there are sins of omission, which means that you can be sinning and not necessarily know, which is part of the, you know, which is part of the process of sanctification. 
Um, you know, but then there are sins of commission that you you are you are committing, and you know that you're committing. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, again, I think it's important for any time we go through some suffering, some pain, mm-hmm. and you go through those, li- you know, the, the list of D's that I, I, I kind of created, j- just to make sure that there's nothing, mm-hmm. you know, but, but look at Job. So Job, was a, he's a great example of this. Yeah. So he's going through all of this pain, suffering, and loss. Yeah. His friends are like, Job, what have you done? Like you must have sinned bad. Like I mean, you've you've pretty much lost everything except your nagging wife. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I can't get rid of her. No, but he I mean, he didn't say that. But I'm sure he thought it. <laughs> so, but but what it came down to, God God's using this to actually show show Satan like he is a righteous man. Mm. Um. So he had not sinned. He had not. God's not disciplining him, but there's this pain and suffering that has come in his life. Uh, take Jesus, okay? Jesus, uh, man, he, he is the weeping prophet. He is the yeah. man of sorrows. Yeah, uh, he was un, unrightfully arrested. He was beat. He was crucified. He had done nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's where I don't want anybody, you know, I don't want to, I don't want us to think that just because something bad happens to us or we experience loss or de- devastating tragedies that somehow God is disciplining us. So don't see God's discipline in everything. But you do need to ask yourself though, is uh, you know, is there anything in my life where I am seeking enough in all of the wrong places? Hmm. Because that's where I really wanted to, you know, because that's usually where that habitual sin really comes in, mm. is that I, I'm now going outside the covenant promises, protection, and presence of God, and I'm trying to find satisfaction. I'm trying to fill my own belly. I'm trying to bring enough in my own life outside of the Lord. Mm-hmm. That That's the key there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you, uh, you know, you, you talked about Elimelech, and if... If uh, you know anybody found themselves really relating to Elimelech, you you brought out an angle I've never heard was that uh, using your sanctified imagination. <laughs> yeah. You know, just this idea of um, his name, Elimelech's name, was redeemed even after his death. Um, so, what an incredible picture of God saying, "I'm not done yet," mm-hmm. right? And um, I mean, and, and we see that all the way to Ruth four. I mean, we we see a glimpse of that in Ruth four. Well, we're not there yet, but we'll get to it. That's that's. Uh, I see glimpses of how uh, how excited you could get looking oh. at Ruth four. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so anything else uh, uh, about that? How that that idea came about? Um, you know, really speaking into because you you know it's, some could could um, relate to Ruth. Some to Naomi, some to Elimelech, and um, and you took that opportunity to speak life into um, individuals that just if you know if they're relating to Elimelech, they just yeah maybe they just you yeah. know sinned in a way that just messed up their life, and um, you know you, you were able to say God you know God's not done with you. He's not well, and um, yeah, and I only mentioned this in I think one gathering, but what you burn down, God can build back up. Mm. And so maybe there's dads out there, and you think you just completely wasted your your season as a as a dad, and now your children are grown, maybe not even following the Lord, mm. and you feel like man, you burn you, you you burned that. Listen, God God can build up what you felt like you burned down. Mm. Um, and so I, that that's where I don't want, even and this is what was so powerful is like even in his death. God's like I, I'm. I'm not, I'm not done. You know, in some sense, writing your story, which yeah. is cr- like cr- you know, crazy to think about that. Yeah. And I, and even in his death, God gave him a second chance <laughs> through a Moabite woman. That's what you know. So yeah, um, yeah. It, we serve an incredibly gracious God. So yes, hmm. He is a God who disciplines. But he is also a God of unbelievable grace. And that that's the that's always the tension that we have to live in. 
And I, th- I think that there, there is an element that I think that we just – and we live in a day and age when the church just only want to focus – the church or many churches or pastors only want to focus on the unbelievable grace mm-hmm. and, and not the, the God who also disciplines his children when they act contrary mm-hmm. to his ways. But I, I, truly, I actually truly believe uh, mm-hmm. that we are living in a generation now, the 21st century generation – where people who profess Jesus are doing what is right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. I would say people who want to run away from the church, you know, because, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to be part, part, like, hey, actually part of it is don't, don't run away from the people of God either. You know, because we, we all need to own it. We all, you know, because there's, there's yeah. an idea, you know, there is an uh, an element and a truth uh, to the corporateness of God's people, hmm. um, and they're 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 isolating themselves. Elimelech and his family they're isolating themselves from hmm. the corporate body, Israel. Right, and you know I think that's you know one of the reasons why we we see like again those consecutive verses. Elimelech dies, and now were people dying in Israel? Yeah, they were dying from famine too. Yeah. I mean, but but they're now isolating themselves, and now when when all of them are gone, Naomi she she bears the brunt of it. Like so, right. then let me let me just speak to families once again, and even men. We need to be very careful of how we lead our family, because how we lead our family can have tragic consequences to them, to our wife. And to our children, so Elimelech actually was a poor leader, not only as a husband but mm-hmm. as a father, by taking them outside the land of promise. And so, husbands, hmm. fathers, let this be a a good caution to us hmm. that we love our wives like Christ loved the church, and that we steward our children in a manner that brings them up under the authority. Of the Lord, so let's not let's not isolate our families. Let's not take them away from from the corporate element of of the people of God, and then also by by leading them to understand who ultimately is the authority of the family. Because when Elimelech chose to go outside, he's saying, "I'm the ultimate authority. Yahweh isn't." But God has a way of showing His family, "I am the authority." Mm. But that's where you have a you're dealing with a God who is, yes, a God of discipline of His children. Yeah, that's painful, but He is a God of unbelievable grace mm. and compassion to His people. And so you have both and, not either or. Mm. Amen. So Ruth was a Moabite, um, and my next question you kind of started touching on. Um, but it's can you help us give some more context on Moab? Um, it's really easy for us to read past it if we don't have the context of how different they were from the Israelites. And in your previous answer, you were helping to illustrate why it was so egregious for them to leave the promised land. Right. Um, you know, just in general, to go wherever. But, um, you know, do you have any more? kind of info or context on on who the Moabites were and um, because it's we have a hard time relating to so Ruth was a Moabite woman so what (laughs) right 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 does that make sense yeah um, so gosh months ago when did I preach on Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 I can't remember it was oh man it was a long day I mean it it was um, it was a while ago all right so but I preached on it because I had some people like I can't believe you preached on that and so you have Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed who's living in Sodom and Gomorrah Uh, that 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 Abraham knows lot lot and his wife. So, so Abraham's trying to intercede to protect his family, Lot. Yeah. Well, so he to no avail. God's like, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot and his family leave. Now, what happens to Lot's wife? She turns back. She turns back. She she longs back for Sodom and Gomorrah. God turns her into a pillar of salt. 
Well, so Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was actually even afraid to stay in Zoar. And so he and his two daughters lived in a cave. Now, one, one day the older daughter said to the younger, hey, our, our father is old and there's no man around us to give us children. So as is the custom in, in all of the earth, because again, our family's dead. So same thing with Naomi. Uh, now, now there's no Elimelech. Now there's no sons. Mm. We're dead. Our family will be wiped out on the face of the earth. So that's kind of what they're saying here, Lot and, and his daughters, or his daughters are saying this. And so they're like, well, let's get our dad drunk. So they get... So, they, those, so this is what I'm saying. Last week you said you're going to be preaching through Genesis. Yeah, yeah. Right? Genesis is not G. No, it's not, it's not a G-rated. It's not, yeah, not, not even a PG, not even a PG-13. Because they're like, Goodness. let's get our father drunk. And let's sleep with him to preserve our family line through our father. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you got both of them Mm -hmm. doing that. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. So the Moabites got got their beginning from Lot and one of his daughters, so an incestuous relationship, and then eventually the Moabites are considered an enemy of Israel. So you can read Numbers 22 and 25, Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 6, and then Judges 3, uh, verses 12 through 14. I mean, they are an enemy of Moab. So that's that's who we're dealing with. And again, this is where I, that map plays a huge part, Yeah, is that the Sinai Covenant so the, so you could also say the Mosaic Covenant. They're one and the same. So mm-hmm. some, some people say it's the Sinai because God entered into covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. But then somebody, some people say it's the Mosaic Covenant because they, you know M- Moses mediated the covenant between God and Israel. Mm. But that covenant surrounded the land. Yeah. And so that that land was special. That land was for God's chosen people so that they might live in the land, which is why when you're reading the story of the conquest and you're actually reading, this is even before Moses dies, you actually have uh, the, uh, oh, you, you have the tribe of uh, Manasseh. And you know, even the tribe of Gad yeah. that live outside the land. So Gad and the half and half of the tribe of Manasseh live out. I believe it's half half of the tribe that live outside. But anyways, you got two tribes that choose to live outside the land, and you're like, no, yeah, east, yeah, they yeah. live east of the Jordan, yeah, not west. East is not good. God, God didn't. God's not wanting. He's giving you this land. Yeah, and it is interesting because it does say that Moses gave them that land, not God. Mm. So. So that's why, like, you're dealing in this land, and why it's so important to look at. All right, he is now exposing himself outside the land of promise. Yeah, it's the reason why they call it the promised land. Mm. And, and, and that covenant, though, was contingent upon their obedience, which is why you have that cycle. Now, I'll, I'll just throw this out here for kicks and giggles, uh, because the the sign or the Mosaic covenant is referred to as the Old Covenant in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, is going to say that covenant is now obsolete. That what Jesus, because you also have Ezekiel, you have Isaiah and Jeremiah, they talk about a new covenant, a better covenant. What covenant are they alluding to? The new covenant that is going to be made available by the Messiah, the Anointed One. And we know the Messiah, the Anointed One, as Jesus Christ. So through his death and his resurrection, his sacrifice, he has instituted a new and better covenant. That covenant is obsolete. Mm. Now, you can read between the lines about that one, you know, because it does seem to mean that at least from a land perspective, that covenant has become obsolete. Mm. Now, some people would say, well, didn't God promise the land to Abraham? Well, yeah, he promised the land to Abraham. But the covenantal element of the land was made at Sinai Mm. with Moses. Mm -hmm. That has become obsolete. Mm. So 
Anyways, that's why it's so important. That's why I put up the map. What is the promised land for the people of God? Because God doesn't have two people. He has one people. Mm. That's why for me, when I say that Jesus is the better Adam and Jesus is the better Israel, that's a theological statement Mm. that I'm actually making, Mm. that that if Israel, if any tribe, nation, tongue, or people group want to have a future where their name is not blotted out but lives on, their name has to be written in the book of life. And the only way their name is going to be written in the book of life is if they are grafted into Jesus. Mm. Because he is now the promised land. He is the inheritance. He is the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. He is the fulfillment of the Mosaic covenant. He is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He is the fulfillment of the Noahic covenant. It's in him. Hmm. All of the promises of God are yes. So that's why like, it's so important to understand that, yes, this is what, you know, in Ruth, this is what was going on. But how does this transliterate to the new covenant? Jesus is our promised land. All of the promises, all of the protection, all of God's Shekinah glory presence is mm. in Jesus, which is now housed in his church mm. because we are his, what, body. We are his bride. And so that's why if we want to find, if we feel like in our life there's not enough, and we want to we want to start venturing out, and we want to start going. I think we need more money to to, to be satisfied. No, you, you've gone outside, and I promise you, bitter, not better. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I, I just I, I need this woman, or I need this relationship. You know, to really feel, no, hang on, hang, like, see, that's where I feel like we're getting really in dangerous territory in the in, in in the Christian realm when we start accommodating people's behaviors and lifestyles because they say, well, I need this, or this is what I feel in order to be happy. No, no, no. Listen, you need Jesus, mm. and I don't want to spiritualize it, but at the end of the day. Even if we don't have physical bread, even if we die, we will live in him. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's part of where, like, if we, are we going to believe that or not? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I went on a rant there. Well, so. that was – yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, you covered a, a couple things there. Well, you know, one of it was, you know, what you were saying has – about the covenant has uh, tremendous implications to how we we read and see the news today. Um, and then the second was obviously um, tremendous implications to how Elimelech would have understood, yeah. right? And the people um, during that time would have understood what going to Moab meant, yeah. right? For us, it seems inconsequential, but he would have known. The stories. Oh, he yeah. They would have known the stories, and if he didn't, then that shows a that shows a the the result of judges, right? They did right in their own eyes, and maybe they couldn't see. I mean, they, yeah. they were kind of blinded by their own stubbornness and pride. But yeah. let, let, let me even give you a couple other elements to even drill down a little bit more on the covenant. You know, differences between the old covenant that that Elimelech and the judges took place in, and then even the yeah. new covenant. All right, so. Uh, I am going to have one little spoiler alert, okay? So there was another Gentile earlier on in the conquest that came to know G or well came to know Yahweh, and I, I, I did say Jesus because in the new in the New Testament Yahweh is connected to Jesus. They are one in the same that Jesus is Lord. That's what Yahweh is Lord, the covenantal name of God. Jesus is Lord. He is Yahweh in flesh. Mm -hmm. Come to bring about a new covenant. But so who was the one other Gentile woman that came to know the Lord during the conquest? Rahab. Rahab. Do you know who she gave birth to? It's 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 in Ruth four. <laughs> Boaz. Yeah. Oh, that's Rahab right. Rahab gave birth to Boaz. Oh, I forgot that. 
Oh, that'll preach. This is, oh, that'll so preach. You got two Gentile, and again, you're gonna find you're gonna find their they're gonna find their names though in Matthew one in the genealogy. You got Rahab, Ruth, right there genealogy. in, G, in Jesus' genealogy. So let that sink in, okay? But what you have with both Rahab and Ruth, the way they were converted was yes through their confession, but they became part of the people of God, grafted in and lived in the land. They didn't live out. Outside the land, they lived in the land. Uh, All right. So uh, now in the new covenant, see, and that's is how that's how people were saved in the Old Testament. There was this confession, mm. and then there was this entrance into and an incorporation into the people of God. Now you do start seeing the hints of the new covenant with people like Jonah and going to Nineveh. Yeah. And also with Babylon coming in and begin, but but part of Babylon coming in and exiling the people of God is because of their disobedience. And so you're starting to see hints of the Abrahamic blessing of God blessing all families of the earth. But so Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all, again, all of these covenants, what does he tell his disciples? in Matthew 28, and then obviously in Acts 1, is that I want you to make disciples of? All nations. Oh, so now the new covenant does not have geographical boundaries. Mm. Mm. You have his disciples in Acts 1 Mm. that say, is it at this time you're going to basically restore the geographical boundaries of Israel? Are you going to reinstitute the glory days of Israel? The kingdom of Israel. Yeah. What does Jesus say? Well, it's not for you to know. Like you're, you're pretty much asking the wrong question, but you shall be my witnesses. witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the, ends of the uttermost earth. parts of the world, the ends of the earth. No geographical boundaries. Why? Because now hmm. the land has become the entire globe hmm. because Jesus' death and resurrection has purchased redemption for every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group, so that through him, who is the better Adam, better Israel, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, now I can send you to the uttermost parts of the world because now I'm not bound by any geographic land. I am now bringing my glory to bear through my people who I've now sent to the ends of the earth. So that's why one of these days we will have a geographic location in which to live. It's called the New City Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. But until that time, and there was a there was a message in our Made for Mission series that I actually put the dimensions. Yeah. Because we actually had then. But, but here's the thing: in the New Covenant, there's no geographical dimensions other than listen. I want you to go to all the world. That is my geographical dimension. Mm. In the new city, when heaven comes down and heaven and earth collide in the new city, Jerusalem, there will be geographical dimensions mm. where it will be God's people living in God's land under his rule and reign. So that's just a little bit more food theologi- or theological food for thought of the differences between the Old Testament, which means Old Covenant, and the New Testament, meaning the New Covenant. Okay. Because Testament and okay. Covenant are synonyms. They're, they're interchangeable. That's so good. How 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 we doing over there, Joe? Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. So love it. So let's go to the last question. I want to look at the takeaways we had. Uh, you gave us three takeaways from Naomi's bitterness, and those were: don't let your bitterness blind you from seeing God's goodness. Uh, second was: don't let your bitter trial turn you into a bad theologian. And finally, don't let your bitterness in life keep you from realizing that the Lord is better than life. Um, which of those do you – actually, I, I have a question before we get there. Okay. I'll give you some uh, time to think on w- which of those you want to, uh, to discuss. But you um, – man, God's good – for me, God's goodness was just such an amazing theme. We, we, sang, we sang a song to that end. And um, and then the eleven o'clock service, you you came up and you just you got emotional. Yeah. Um. You know, your son Caleb put his arm around him. I actually just I was sitting in the back. I just happened to see that. Oh yeah. Just because I saw Caleb walking down, and I just for whatever reason I looked over and saw it, and it was just a sweet moment. Um. So the question I have is, does that count as being uh, mentioned in the sermon? Because don't you have to pay pay your kids if you mention them in the sermon? So does that count? <laughs> No, no. Well, that didn't count. But no, I usually do have to pay royalty. Yeah, you know, but that didn't a royalty count. fee or something using their name. 
So, <laughs> but but I didn't, have to, I didn't have to pay for that. one. That was outside of no. Yeah. That's, I mean, that sucker did. I mean, like I, it was out of the blue, and and I'm like, I'm gonna have to explain because I'm lo- I really am like I'm losing it. Yeah, and so I'm gonna have to explain like why are you like so emotional? And so it wasn't really through the song. Uh, it it was through like he yeah um it was it it was a sweet moment with my 17 year old and then he just kind of yeah he just leans over like i love you and so you you know you you can't make up those raw emotions so um no. it's just it was just great to see yeah, yeah yeah so and that was that was an element of god's goodness um yeah, I do think though when when we go through difficulty and and again and it could be a famine whether it's brought about by discipline or it's a family brought about just living in a fallen world, it is easy to become so short sighted to seeing God's goodness all around. Yeah, and which is part of and then it goes back to one of the lessons I want us to learn is train our eyes. Because I think that's part – like we have to train our eyes because if we don't train our eyes, we will miss God's goodness even in the midst of drought, even in the midst of famine. And we're going to all we're, we're all going to go through famine because again, because I all of these messages. The reason why they tie together is because we're preaching the Bible. But remember, we live in. A, <laughs> yeah, I know that's kind of funny. What if uh, we preach the Bible? Uh, but I if hope you so. remember in Iron Faith, we talked about we live in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Like we, mm-hmm. we are not in our promised land yet, and it's some new city where we're not phased by you know like yeah. uh, where there will be no more effects of sin or sin, right? So that's part of why, like in Jesus in the promised land, like we we need to make sure that we find our sustenance, our identity, our everything in Him, mm-hmm. you, you know. But but we're already going to live in the wilderness, so that's why like. I want us to realize that there's going to be things that happen. And again, it's not God's discipline in our life. It's living in a fallen world. So we need to still train our eyes for seeing God's goodness. And and they might be winks. Like, mm. you know, these little hints that I'm still here and you might not see it. Um, mm. Like what? I want to say, was it a movie? What was it where? Because I, I didn't get that, that, that terminology by myself. I heard like God winks. God from, winks, yeah. I can't I can't remember what it is, but that God's just winking that hey I'm still here mm-hmm. I'm not done with you I'm still uh, you, you you may not can fully fully see me just yet but 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 I'm here uh, so he, he might give you some God winks mm-hmm. uh, he might you know scream it from the mountaintop hey I'm here you know uh, might come in a loud thundering bolt I, you know but he's still there he's still mm-hmm. working so but you have to train your eyes mm-hmm. sometimes to to see that um, and then the bad theologian part yeah. Um, you, you know, <laughs> that's where I, I just laugh at Naomi because I, she leaves and yeah. says, I, I, I left full. full. No, you, I mean, like woman, what planet are you on that you left full? Maybe you left with a husband and two sons. Maybe that's what you mean. Yeah. But you, and you came back empty. So maybe, maybe you're looking at it that way. Yeah. But, but really you did not leave full. I mean, you had sick and you had sick and tired by your side. Like, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but if I name my child sick and tired or sick and wasting away, I mean, I'm not feeling like I'm full because if I felt like I was full, I'm going to name him something like like my my husband and me. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's my God is King. I'm pleasant. I'm yeah. delightful. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say sick and tired. Yeah. Like, so so th- th- something's yeah. going on there where y- you're you're not seeing things right yeah they had to flee to a foreign land yeah like like leave leave this wasn't just like for a couple days they left and and every disaster and barrenness doesn't mean that that god has done it in a you know in a vindictive way or that god has even done it uh uh like actively now there, are, you know, here's the thing. I would say, in God's sovereignty, there is nothing that happens to you outside of God's sovereignty. Hmm. So either He has allowed it or He has caused it. Hmm. Um, you, you know, so and that's where again it could be discipline, where He is causing it or He's allowing it just by living in a fallen world. Hmm. But but that doesn't mean that God's hand is against you because it, here's what we know is that He's for His people. Yeah. He's yeah yeah now yeah. It, he's not gonna he's not gonna put up with your habitual sin, 
But even in his discipline, he's for you. Like when Joni and I have had to discipline our kids, we're for them. That discipline hurts us actually more than it actually hurts them. Like we don't want them to be yelling at us. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to, in some sense, be. When I say you know, I'm not like cursing in the in the, but but cursing us. Like you know, I can't believe you. Like we we that hurts us. But we ultimately know by by the discipline that we're that we're enacting, it's ultimately because we love them. So we're not against them; we're mm-hmm. for them. Mm. Uh, and that discipline or the disaster or the barrenness isn't isn't a, a sign that we've abandoned you. No, we're we're in that with you. Like so, it has turned her into a bad theologian where she's going to eventually come to see that Ruth. Ruth has demonstrated the the friendship, the the covenant loyalty of God. Yeah. That, I mean, gosh, that that her confession that I hmm. am giving. Here's what she's ultimately confessing: I'm giving up my future so I can give you a future. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like she is demonstrating. Hmm. The, the gospel, hmm. because what Jesus says is, I'm willing to die so that you can live. Like Because Naomi is saying, I'm dead. I, girls, I'm dead. I'm, I'm, I'm just as God's hand is against me. You don't want to come with me because there is no future. And what, what Ruth is saying is that I'll bear the brunt of no future so that you can have a future. Mm. From a Moabite woman. From a Moabite woman, and that is in stark contrast to what we see in Judges. From the some so many of the leaders, they did right in their own eyes. Because she's not, she is not, uh, she has not been promised a future. I mean, that's the thing. Like she is entering into she she is confessing faith in Yahweh and hitching her wagon to Naomi. Not knowing, really actually believing that she has no future, especially according to Naomi. She is an enemy. Mm. She is a widow. Mm. She is childless. Mm. They are extremely poor now because they have lost everything. There is no way that they're going to make money. That's why we'll we'll look at that in Ruth too, is that they're going to have to glean yeah. in the fields like a – not at, not like a, but as a poor person. Yeah. Like they have nothing; they have lost everything. So, so Naomi has this daughter-in-law that says, "I'm going to reject my future so that I can be with you to make sure you have one." Mm. And that's what ultimately Jesus has done for us. Mm. And so, because this is what's going to happen, is God's going to give her an unbelievable future. Mm. And so, by Jesus giving up His life so that we might have life, He rose from the dead, and that's what we read in, in in Philippians, that he has been given the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Like, yes, Jesus was God in the flesh, but what we see in the gospel is that he sacrificed in order that we might live. Mm-hmm. But in his sacrifice, God gave him a name that that is above every name. So so and that's where like you either going to you either going to bow down now as as a faithful follower of Jesus or one of these days you will be made to bow down and will be cast out of his presence. Mm. So and it's because of his obedience to the father. And uh, you know, but then don't let your bitterness in life keep you from realizing that the Lord is better than life. I, I you know, I really do sound like a broken record in this, yeah. And I know, as Americans, you know, for for in some sense, for most of us, like we'll never we'll never, in some sense, experience the the hopelessness of the Elimelechs and the Naomi's. Hmm. I mean, because it was a life or death situation, yeah. But they chose in that moment to not see the Lord as better than life. Mm. And so instead of seeing him as better than life, they started to freak out. Mm. Mm. And well, we'll just try to make our life better. Mm. And um, mm. and again, I do think that we do this in other ways as Americans. But even if, and I know, like this is theoretical. I I, I get it for for many of us. But even if we were faced 
with a hopeless, hopeless, hopeless situation. And many of us, there, there will, in some kind of shape, form, or fashion, we will face that. Again, maybe not like they did with, with food and the famine, but in other ways. We have to see, as followers of Jesus, that he's better than life. Amen. That our future is tethered to his future, and he has a future. Mm. We see his future. And if we want that future, man, like, we we are in him. So, so that's how I will kind of end it. Any other any other thoughts, comments? So I'm looking forward to the next three weeks. Well, Northland family and friends, it has been a wonderful delight, a pleasant, a Naomi delight, because that's what her name means, pleasantness. Naomi does. Naomi. Yeah. Not, not, not a Mara. Not, you know, Mara. Not a Mara. Yeah, I try to roll my R's. I, I can't roll my R's. But Mara, not, not bitter, pleasant. but pleasant. And it has been a pleasant experience bringing this extra takes to you. We love you. We thank God for you. And we can't wait to worship King Jesus with you this weekend. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.